0: discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code ABSURDITY at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there.
1: Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey everyone, welcome to Absurdity. An exploration of all things absurd in culture, religion, and society. And today is going to be so much different than what we normally do. I'm sitting in Wisconsin currently at their uh, camp meeting, which is a gathering of Adventists. We do it pretty much in every state (laughs) um, and every kind of region around the world. But every summer, Adventists in a given region get together, and we do a week or a weekend of worship, of seminars, of of, of fellowship, and, Mm -hmm. and gathering together. So I'm out here speaking for the youth this week, and we're sitting in the tent And I'm joined by a very good friend of mine who is no stranger to this podcast, and that's Stephen Hall.
2: Hello, everybody. Uh, My name is Steve. I'm a pastor up here at the uh, Porter's District in Wisconsin, and uh, I'm glad to be.
1: Yes. And a quick disclaimer before I move forward on this. If you hear random sounds like golf carts driving by or cars driving by or kids running around, uh, there's a lot of families here. And so uh, just kind of bear with us on that. But Um, And then I'm super excited, and I've been hoping for this for a long time, and I love serendipity in that way, Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, we're joined by Jennifer Schwerzer, and um, uh, she's someone that I've interacted with on Twitter for the better part of a year now, (laughs) um, and someone I greatly admire and respect, Um, and so we happened to be at the same place at the same time, and she graciously came on. So, Jennifer, thank you for being here.
3: It's great to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, so
1: tell us... um, Tell us about yourself, uh, your background and, um, yeah, give us a good. So what teacher.
3: I'm doing at this camp meeting would maybe be a way of framing it because yeah. I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Well, it all started when I was just a young, like early teen. Uh, I was about 12 years old and I went to a public school and I ended up getting bullied and sexually assaulted and physically assaulted on the playground by a group of girls. And it was a devastating, very shattering experience. Um, that I never really talked about, never really dealt with. Years later, I would become a Christian. I was a follower of Jesus, and I came into a church, the Adventist Church, and I joined a ministry of very young people in their twenties, young adults. And it was a restaurant ministry. We ran a vegetarian restaurant in Manhattan, right down the road from the World Trade Towers. No lie, wow. like a block. Of course, this is long before they fell. I was a teenager. I wasn't a teenager. I was in my twenties, and I'm a lot older than that now, but. I ended up in this ministry full of young people, and it was an incredible experience. We would drive a van from New Jersey where we owned a farm into Manhattan every day and serve the crowds of people that would come into this vegetarian restaurant. It was over 500 people a day most of the time. So it was a really lively, really vital uh, ministry, and we'd mingle with the people and then have Bible studies, and it was incredible. Unfortunately, the director of the ministry was a very morally flawed human being and he was a designing calculating manipulative man Mm. and before six years had gone by i was there for six years he had preyed upon just about every woman in the ministry including myself so there were two incidences where he assaulted me and fortunately he wasn't like just a straight-up rapist where he was going to like you know overpower me physically and so i was able to fight him off which i did both times. The second time I had to slam the door in, in of a car and drive away, but it was just kind of a lot of drama. Anyway, I came out of that experience kind of wanting support and wanting people to believe my story, but I was in a culture that was very saturated with what might be called purity culture. Mm. Uh, very, very strong values, very, uh, very strong emphasis on modesty for women, and but unfortunately kind of tipped in the direction of women always being to blame when things like that would happen. Oh, and so I kind of knew that and that's why I didn't say anything the first time cuz I knew if I say if I tell people what he did, they're going to blame me and but the second time, I remember it was funny cuz I was supposed to sing for church the day after it happened. And we were going to be singing this song about you know Jesus calling to people and people missing out on heaven. It had kind of kind of that element of being of missing out, you know. And uh, shunning the Holy Spirit and stuff like that, and and uh, it was kind of a warning kind of song. And we were going to be singing that song, and I was going to be singing it with the guy's wife. Mm. And in the middle of practicing it, the Holy Spirit just sat on me and said, "You've got to tell the truth because this is going to suck you in if you don't mm. if you don't tell the truth." Because he was, you know, a charismatic, powerful man, and I was a young woman, and it was just crazy. So I decide I have to tell her, and uh, that night went to her house, and uh, we talked and disclosed. And then what happened is, because I was honest, the whole ministry kind of found out about that, and the whole all the stories of all the relationships that this man had had and all the things that he'd done to all the women came tumbling out because everybody else was holding it in because they didn't want to be blamed, and so... Mm. Everything just came tumbling out as a result of me sort of beginning the priming the pump, so to speak. So anyway, I really wanted uh, to be validated and encouraged. But what I found was that the people that were kind of or, the administrators over that ministry who were kind of over this guy. And it was pretty loosely wrapped like lay ministry. So it wasn't a really big administration or anything. But there was a group that sort of governed over this ministry they would not do anything with the guy over and over again. these allegations came forward and they just kind of left him there. And that, so we ended up leaving. My husband and I ended up leaving, uh, pregnant with our first child. And I was just really burned. You know, I felt really wounded, probably more so than I did being assaulted on the playground mm. as a 12-year-old, you know because of the context in which it happened it was absurd you know that there could be this uber spiritual group that just everything had to be done perfectly you know there's this high standards and we were always like calling each other out on not being obedient enough and then here's this man you know slithering around like preying on all the women and he's the leader and everybody gives him a pass it was just completely outrageous so, I came out of that with a real scorch marks and, and then kind of grounded um, with my first child. You know, I had been in this exciting ministry in Manhattan with just rush and the pleasure and rush of business and all these young people around me, and it was just really fun. And then all of a sudden, I was alone with this little child all day, and I had a lot of time to think about it. And so, from there, I just kind of, uh, kind of, I I, I guess what I did is at a certain point I vowed that I would never be kowtowed again because what happened was the administrators who would not stand up for the women that had been assaulted by this guy, preyed upon by this guy, um, they wouldn't do anything about it. And when we would tell them the truth, they would invalidate us. And so I got intimidated by that, you know. But I came out of that. I I had time to think about it. I said, I will never be intimidated again. I will tell the truth, though the heavens fall. I will stand on this thing. And I don't care what the consequences are, because I'm not going to let my conscience be violated twice. Mm. So I kind of made a vow to myself to have courage in the face of abuse scenarios. And as Maybe as a result of that, God sent me a lot of those kinds of situations, and people knew my story, and, and one thing led to another. I ended up handling a lot of abuse scenarios of church members that had been violated, some of them by the same guy, uh, but many that weren't, and I ended up working with those situations. And I volunteered for a while for a, a ministry called The Hope of Survivors, which handles abuse allegations and does a lot of education, and then eventually decided that I wanted to, I, I, had this, I had this idea of starting something of my own. I have a nonprofit corporation. I got a counseling uh, degree and a license eventually, so I started a counseling practice. And then I thought of starting an abuse, abuse response team in association with the counseling practice. And what happened was one day I was on a thread with two of my friends, Nicole Parker, and Sarah McDougall. And we were on this thread and we kept talking about abuse situations because all three of us were, had our own stories of abuse and were comparing notes of different allegations that would come in. And and it was, life was the same for all three of us because Nicole would go to a conference and every abuse victim in the whole building would be drawn to her like a magnet. And same thing with Sarah. So we were constantly dealing with all these allegations and situations, all three of us. And we'd be comparing notes, and we got to do something about this, you know. Sometimes we'd write letters or whatever. And I said to them one day, I said, you know, we need to figure out a way that you guys can get paid for all this work you're doing. Because we're cleaning up after people that are paid full-time salaries to make a mess, and we're cleaning it up for free. And that's not right. So we need to figure out a way. And I've got this nonprofit corporation So let's think about what we can do. And I said, I have this brand in my head, the Bucket Brigade. The Bucket Brigade is people that put out a fire before the fire department gets there. Before the official people get there, the Bucket Brigade, the lay people jump in, roll up their sleeves and try to do something about an emergency situations. And and, and that's what we're doing here. So I think it's a great brand and it sounds kind of edgy and it's memorable. You know, I said, so let's Start something. And within minutes, uh, Sarah had, she's really good with technology, and she had a website up. She had a a Facebook site up. And the Bucket Brigade was born. And we started, we have a, we we still have it. We have a reporting system where people go to the website and they can report. We have a filing system where we put the perpetrators in a certain file because we're really committed to not doing anything uh, in a sloppy manner. We believe that false allegations are also a form of abuse. People are frightened of false allegations, and for good reason. There aren't as many of them as there are true allegations, but we still want to be fair. And so we're very methodical in the way we do it. We have a three-tiered system. If we don't have enough evidence, nobody finds out about it. But if we have enough evidence, two or three witnesses, we will write letters and we will try to do something. We've been successful, you know, when we've had the evidence, when we have the people that are willing to speak up or the recordings or the emails or whatever. So um, that started, and then the lawyer for my corporation. I'm kind of mo- monologuing here. Is that all right? No, you're good. Is that all right? You're okay, good. you chime in if you want to. I feel kind of bad. Um, oh, no,
1: this is about you. They, they hear my yeah. voice. This is episode 93. Oh, okay. They he, they've heard my voice all plenty. the
3: time. Okay, so I have this lawyer for uh, my corporation. His name is Nicholas Miller. He's actually counsel for the for the yeah. administration up here. Good guy and real real Christian guy, and so. I get, a, I get into the situation where there's a pastor who has harassed and really violated two women separate from each other. They didn't talk to each other, but they both had the same testimony. And one of them was a Bible study. And he would pull out a computer in the middle of a Bible study and try to show her pornography if that isn't one of the most outrageous things you've ever heard. So I knew that happened, and I also knew of another victim of harassment, and they had not cross-pollinated. So I knew it was true, because Jesus said, two or three witnesses, everything established. So I said, this is this is really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure. Can't be 100%, but I'm 99. So I wrote letters. He got unhired. They let him go. But they didn't put anything on his record. So then he got hired in another state. I found out about that. I wrote letters there and they unhired him. So he wrote me a really nasty lawsuit threat and told me to cease and desist. If I didn't promise him, I would cease and desist that he would sue me. And I went through three days of absolute panic thinking I'm going to lose everything I have. But then I started thinking about it and I realized, you know, there's three states involved at this point. He would have to have a huge pile of money to hire all the legal help he would need. Plus, if he goes, you know, if he pursues that, the truth is going to come out. He's just going to expose himself. So this isn't really going to happen. And um, I discussed, and you know, I came out of that after three days sweating. And I came out and I said, I would do it again the same way. I don't care if I lose everything. It? Yeah, I really felt that. Anyway, I, I reached out to Nick, and he agreed with me. It's probably not going to happen. It's just the bark is worse than the bite, and he kind of, you know, helped me through that because he was the lawyer for my corporation. Really nice guy. I think at that point he realized, man, this girl has skin in the game. Like she's willing <laughs> to put herself in harm's yeah. way, and uh, and he kind of came around. And then I introduced him to Nicole and Sarah and what we were trying to do. And, He kind of came around us and was really kind of a guiding force because, you know, we don't know as much about law as he does. We're like, we're going to do this, you know, and like walking right into the path of an oncoming train, you know. And so he's really good that way. Like he'll he'll help us out and um, give us counsel. And he's really kind of a more calm person than any of us are. So anyway, um, he ended up saying, you know, why don't we set this up to where you guys can do this? with the Adventist Church. Now, in the interim, Sarah had found this policy called the E87, which is part of the handbook for the NAD, which is one of the divisions of the Adventist Church. And, and this sexual abuse policy called the E87 was really masterfully done. It was, it's been there since 2015. And we found this thing, and all three of us read it and we were like, what? This exists? <laughs> really? You know, I mean, people think about this? And talk about it and write about it. Why didn't we know about this? And we're looking at each other. Then we look at each other and say, do you know anybody that's following this policy or anywhere where it's implemented? We're like, no, do you? No. And then we were like, we need to implement this, you know, or at least hold people accountable for implementing it. It's an NED po- it's a, you know, a big administration yeah. policy. So, So Nick started talking to us about it, and he said, well, why don't we offer the Lake Union, the opportunity of hiring you guys to implement the policy. And in addition, we had a private donor that was willing to donate some funds if we worked with a Lake Union. So there was basically this matching funds agreement so that these people cleaning up after the people that are receiving full salaries can receive a little bit of money. It's not a full (laughs) salary by any stretch, but it's a little bit of money so that they can at least feed their children, basically. Yeah. And um so that happened. And we're really thankful because this has been under my skin for years, you know, under all of our skin for years. Now, why aren't things better? Yeah. And you know, sometimes when we when we say, you know, why is it this way? God's answer is, Okay, you change it. I want you to do something. Yeah.
1: I um I actually remember sitting my junior year of high school sitting at a conference with <laughs> where Shane Claiborne was speaking, and Shane Claiborne is a Kind of a, a, a I don't want to say evangelical, but um, Christian author and um, very big on, like, sustainable living and um, kind of committing your all to Jesus. And, and when he was speaking, I asked him the question. He did, like, an open Q&A, and I was like, hey, what's the line between, like, praying for something and acting on it? Like, what, what how do I know when yeah. I should act? And he, he goes, um, he, he responded with, if you're walking by somewhere that needs a handicap ramp, and you pray, Lord, I hope that place gets a handicap ramp. And then you realize that you could build it. Go build it.
3: Exactly. <laughs> like, just go build
1: it. Like, that's the, the line is, when you can, yeah. you do. When there's an avenue to, that you can see or a route to, to accomplish the goal or accomplish yeah. the prayer, answer the prayer, then you become the miracle that you've been praying for. That's what you end up becoming. And Well, uh, you
3: have to. And if you don't, you stand back and you really are giving power to the people that you're disappointed in. Yes. You're giving them all the power rather than yeah. taking some of it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, and that's that's the thing. Like, if it got to this point with these yeah. people in yeah. charge, then it's clearly, like, it, it's not getting better anytime soon. So, because uh, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah, you do have to step up and, and, and do something and say something and speak.
3: And a lot of it, I have to be fair, is just overload and people either lack of education on yes. the issue or just being so overloaded with everything they already have to do that they really don't have enough bandwidth or enough energy to surround this completely separate task. And so I'm very thankful to be uh, being able to spell some of these guys because what would happen, for instance, in a local church if uh, a perpetration situation arose is that it would come on the pastor because the pastor's the fix-all man. He has to be judge, jury, you know, everything lawyer and you know find the evidence and yep and adjudicate between you know he's got to do everything and then make everybody happy in the end or he's going to be hated so what a huge burden on the guy the way the project safe church policy works is there's a group of volunteers that get the report and they adjudicate it, and then they hand recommendations over to either the administration of the church, if it happens to be an employee, or to the church, if it happens to be a volunteer. So, in other words, the burden of deciding on a case and examining evidence, collecting and examining evidence, comes on the sexual ethics, and that's lay people and comp- mm. and you know church yeah. workers, so that they are working together. Um, and the lay people are many of them fired up about stuff like this, yeah. but feel like they don't have a voice. So we're going to give a voice and, and they're going to be experts and trained and capable of doing this kind of thing. So and
2: speaking as a pastor, I'm super appreciative for mm-hmm. a resource yeah. like that, because it's it's something that yeah. is, is invaluable when a situation, if it, if it does arise, to yeah. be able to, to, to lean on people who have much more expertise in these areas and whose judgment I can trust. And I think
3: a lot of times when pastors get a report like this, they'll, you know, unconsciously, they'll minimize it just because they don't have the time or the energy or the expertise to know what to do. So they'll end up minimizing it or, oh, well, it'll be all right, just pray, and you know, or whatever cliche. Not that they're bad people or want to suppress things, but that they just get overwhelmed by it. And so that's what's the beauty of the policies. It takes the burden off the local people and gives it to a group of people that are trained.
1: Well, I think there's... Yeah. When I hear this, I hear a lot of this, I, th- I think there's two big mistakes that we could have made in faith, in faith communities and church structure. And I don't mean just Adventism, I mean in general. And I think the first is at whatever point in church history, we turned the pastor into an everyman.
3: That's right. That's um, so wrong.
1: The second we did that, the mm-hmm. second we that was the second that we started putting someone in a position or expecting expecting someone to fill positions that they were never trained or qualified for to begin with. Um, so we have pastors handling counseling that they should not be handling. Yeah. Um, we have pastors handling problems that they they just are, frankly they didn't go to school for it. Yeah. Um, and so they didn't go to school for it. They didn't learn anything about it. Um, and so yeah, we're dealing with the ramifications of a the stress of that position. Yeah. Um, and b um, the impossibility of it. But yeah. I think the other thing that we've done is we've created lazy. Pastors, ministry leaders in general, because what we've said is, well, God doesn't. Um, he he. God doesn't call the qualified; he qualifies the called. Yeah. That's, I I agree with that statement, but what it's what we've done without any context to it is we've said, uh, we've created this expectation that God's just going to magically give me whatever I need to yeah. be able to do this job.
2: Yeah, like the Matrix. You just plug in when you need some information; it downloads, yeah. and boom, you got but, it.
1: Really, <laughs> really, it's you need to chase that information. You need to chase the qualifications. You need to yeah. to chase the the education that you need to be able to do what you're doing effectively.
3: Or you need to mobilize the people that are qualified. Yes, here we are waiting Even in the better, ranks. Yeah. You know, being like frustrated and having these incredible experiences and having heard so many allegations, and we're getting qualified in that process. Yeah, you know, because we hear all these stories constantly, and and God has qualified us to. And, you know, this brings up a really interesting point is that one of the things we hear that we find pretty frustrating is if you've been through sexual abuse, you're not capable. You're so traumatized and fragile that you will only misjudge sexual abuse cases and make them worse. So just back out, honey. Just don't try to take these things on, honey, because you're just too delicate for that. We get this kind of condescending uh, commentary a lot. Yeah a letter on my computer from someone that said that to me. And I was just like, bingo, there you go. <laughs> you know, I've heard this before, but actually now that can be true. If somebody's in an active trauma experience, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be fragile, but actually over the long haul, someone who's been through abuse can become the sharpest knife in the drawer when it comes to knowing how to handle abuse situations. Yeah. Can they be overreactive? Yeah. Can they overvalidate victims? Yeah. I mean, sure. But who's going to do this more passionately and with more of a burden to do it right than the person who was wronged themselves?
2: And if anything, it, it, it mirrors scripture, right? Because who's our greatest advocate? It's, yep. it's Christ. He's been where we've been. He's, That's right. He's experienced what we've experienced. Who better to speak on our behalf exactly. in would, our hour of need?
3: We would disqualify Jesus from helping people if we were going to say trauma yeah. disqualifies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Talk about trauma. Mm-hmm. That's what the cross, he died of a broken heart. It was the yeah. physical results of emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to render him incapable if we render victims. Yeah. And there's this, it's cool because there's this whole field of trauma research I'm actually in a doctoral program for uh, community counseling with a concentration in traumatology right now and one of my burdens is to introduce to people the concept of post-traumatic growth mm-hmm. uh, there's this whole field of, of research so you read trauma research and, and you get the sense that you're ruined for life but you start reading the post-traumatic growth research and you see a whole different side of it because some of the people that experience trauma actually grow from the trauma Trauma had, doesn't always, but it has the potential of deepening a person, making them care more about what really matters. Like t- people tend to reprioritize when they go through something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think all three of us that are involved in Project Safe Church have experienced post-traumatic growth. And one of the aspects of it is you care more about things that matter. And what we find is we we do a whole training and we start out with helping people recover from what they've been through. But by the end of the training, we're training them to help other people because we comfort others with the same comfort that we were comforted with. Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible says. And so, you know, we train people, we equip people to help other people because a lot of their help is in helping others. You know, we don't, you can't, you can't section off my recovery from my helping you recover. It doesn't work that way. We get help when we help others. And so it, there may be a time when I'm just too fragile. Maybe the wounds are too fresh. But eventually I'm going to get to the place where I can actually dig mm-hmm. in and help others, even though I'm not really quite past it myself. And that'll help catalyze that price, process.
1: Well, and we have, we actually, Steve and I both have a really good friend who um, we saw this happen because she thought, um, in a completely different arena, but very, very much so this case of, of trauma deepening you as a person yeah. um she was in theology she was looking at going into ministry or some form thereof and she got into a terrible car accident where uh one car accident she hit black ice and um if you look at the picture of the car there's no driver's seat left like oh she should my. not have lived oh and her femur snapped in half oh.
2: um crack like ten vertebrae. I yeah. actually
1: remember visiting her in the hospital a couple days after and at one yeah. point we were talking with her And Tony and myself stepped out because she needed to go to the bathroom and a nurse had to help her. And I will never... Like, I'm scarred by the screams that I heard that... Like, I felt terrible because this is one of my closest friends Mm -hmm. who's dealing with this and I just have to be present. But what ended up happening is after she went through rehab and and, um, and physical therapy and got back to normal, everything changed for her. And she's now... Um, she did physical therapy. She changed she's everything. She's got a doctorate in PT, yeah? Yeah, she's got a doctorate in PT. Like, Oh, wow. She It's everything to her. And so what she did, literally, was she took the trauma that happened to her that right. she had no say in, and yeah. she said, I've been through this. Who better to help people right. through this exactly. than the person who's experienced That's it exactly. and who can say to a victim... Yeah. I've been where you've I've been. I've been where you've exactly. been. Exactly. It gives me you credibility. Exactly. Yep. It's, exactly. yeah, it's, it's, so, yeah, if we can allow it in other places, certainly we should be able to allow she it here. She didn't
3: have a choice about the car accident, but she had a choice as to how to respond to yes. it.
1: Yes. Yep, exactly. I had
3: no choice about the two abuse scenarios I was involved in, but I did have a choice how to respond to it. Yes. And there are, there are healthy ways of responding yep. that can actually make you a greater, more capable servant. Yeah. You know, and then there are unhealthy ways of responding.
1: Um, so I, I, for someone who is in a position of, um, they have been abused or they've been assaulted yeah. and, um, they don't know where to go, what to say, how to say it, how to start the conversation or who to start it with. Yeah. Um, granted, I, can, I know that's yeah. super broad.
3: No, no, no. I can, I can but, help.
1: Yeah. What do we, what do we yeah. say to that?
3: Well, if it's in the Adventist church, we want the name of the person who abused you. So go to Against bucketbrigadeagainstabuse.org. Is it org or com? I think it's com. We'll, we'll put, it in, the show abuse. Notes. You'll put it in the show notes, you will put verify the URL for you. But you'll find it. If you put Bucket Brigade Against Abuse, you'll find us. And there's a report filing system. You just click on that. We want to hear who it is. Now, know that this is not going to become public without your knowledge, and and we won't use your testimony, in other words, without your permission. We will get written mm. permission from you before we share anything that you share with us. And we want you to know it's safe, because if we published stuff that people have shared without their permission, it re-traumatizes them. It's, it's yeah. forcing them all over again. So, But we want to know who that person is so we can um, file it in our filing system. If you're in the Adventist Church, we are focused on the Adventist Church. Why? Because we want to clean our side of the street, mm-hmm. and there's a big world out there, and we want them to be free too, but we're focusing on what we have influence over. So Bucket Brigade Against Abuse, fill out a report, Uh, If you need help, if you need counseling, I run a practice that uses teletherapy. Uh, In other words, we call (laughs) phone, FaceTime, Skype. Most of the clients I see are electronic, you know, media. You know, that's my life. I'm on the phone all day, literally. (laughs) Um, So it's abidecounseling.com. And you can go there, fill out the intake form, and we'll try to set you up with either a mental health coach or a counselor, depending on what your budget is and what your needs are. Um, So that's something I can offer that we can reach anyone in the world. And we have a very unique brand of counseling. We are many of us professionally trained and we do. um, But we do counseling that recognizes the holistic aspect of human nature. In other words, health issues matter. You know, if you're uh, struggling with anxiety and you're drink, drinking 12 cups of coffee a day and eating a lot of sugar, we're going to say, you know, can you cut down on that? Because it's affecting your brain, you know? <laughs> so we're going to we're gonna deal with the whole person, or we're going to give you ideas as to how to incorporate more exercise or water drinking or whatever into your program. Not that we're health professionals in that sense, but, you know, we recognize the connection there. And we'll at least point you to the right resources. We're also uh, biblically based, and so that's kind of a unique thing where we'll pray for you if you want that. If you don't, you know we respect that too most of my clients really appreciate the prayer it really helps them feel you know more fortified or whatever and so we do pray with clients and there is uh to the degree that the client wants it god talk in the session spiritual concepts introduced and so forth some people really want that some don't and we appreciate that but um we are willing to adapt but we have that option Mm -hmm. And so we have kind of a unique version of counseling to offer as well yeah. as the fact that it's distance. That's awesome. I yeah. love
1: that too because like if, a, if I'm um, a teenager or a college student or whatever and I don't want to tell mom and dad or mom and dad I've told they don't believe me or they won't let me go deal with this in a way because there's still a stigma out there against counseling or against really doing anything about stuff yeah. like this. Um, I can do it because the internet, <laughs> the internet really has become an age of empowerment. Yeah. Um, so th- th- it is something that you can just go do and you don't have to worry about it um uh, you know worry about that that them keeping you because they won't drive you to an appointment or they won't Oh that's true. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. there's a way around that now if if that's the case.
3: So I can see children incognito. <laughs> <laughs> um Well, I don't see yeah. underage kids without their parents Yes, yeah, yeah but it. I'm talking like late teenagers, yeah, college students, even young adults right. to some extent. I know.
1: Um and so then there's a there's a second part to this and mm-hmm. in your story that you shared, which I appreciate you sharing by the way. Yeah, thank yeah. you for that. Um word the you said in a in a in a rehearsal with with the guy's wife you know the holy spirit came on you and you said you needed to just just, just, to just speak tell the truth though yeah. the heavens fall for someone who's in that position of like i'm scared to i don't know what to do yeah how do they oh yeah for ADHD <laughs> when when cuz i j- i was just diagnosed with ADHD recently and we there's a term called the wall of awful where bet- it stands between us and accomplishing a task <laughs> we have to figure out how to get through the wall of awful okay to get there um mm-hmm. and so like a kid with ADHD, if you tell him to do something and he can't do it, so you just take it and go, I'll do it. Or here's how you do it. Yeah. And they get angry. Yeah. That's because they Hulk smash. They had you force them to Hulk smash their way through the wall of awful. I see. That's that's kind of how that's used. So <laughs> how do how does someone who's in that position with uh, with abuse as a victim, how do they get through the wall of awful, yeah. so to speak, to be able to yeah. speak? How do they? Yeah. What do they What, what well, do you tell yourself? OK,
3: let me be let me be blunt here if I could. Number Absolutely. one, number one speaking up isn't going to be as horrible likely isn't going to be as horrible as you think but a lot of times the reason people don't speak up well there's a couple reasons they're ashamed they feel like it's their fault let me say this there are a lot of abuse situations where the victim does have some responsibility uh, responsibility let me qualify that never any responsibility on the victim's part if it's a child There's never any responsibility on the victim's part if it's forcible rape. But many abuse situations, which really are forms of abuse, involve a victim who was partly consensual. Now, there's various forms and various levels, but for instance, in a church context, which is the context I deal with, when a pastor seduces a congregant, maybe the congregant is physically consenting, There's a couple possibilities. One could be that they're afraid of him because he says they're going to ruin their life or whatever. Depending on the velocity of the threats, the victim could have some responsibility. Number two, maybe she fell in love with him. It happens. I think it's still abuse for a pastor to have a relationship of that nature with a congregant. I think it's still abuse because he had the greater power in the relationship. So a lot of times people don't come forward because they have some ownership or they think they have some ownership, even though they don't. So whichever that case may be, um, that's one of the hindrances. Another is that they're afraid to hurt the perpetrator. You are not helping the perpetrator by remaining silent if he is harming people. You are hurting the perpetrator by remaining silent. It may be temporarily more painful for the perpetrator to face his issues and be exposed but in the long run, it may save his soul. He may come to his senses. He may come crashing to the foot of the cross. And you may have saved him by telling the truth. So, you know, like you're not really helping him by being silent. Um, and, and there are other reasons. There are uh, a, lot of, a lot of people are a part of a culture where you never call out a person in spiritual authority. I remember one situation where the victim was part of a church, the associate pastor, and she had what she thought was an affair. But then she discovered that there was a whole string of women behind him that had had quote-unquote affairs with this guy. And I convinced her, you know, this is really more abuse than an affair because he was your pastor. And she gradually came to that conclusion. She realized that she needed to speak up. But she said, I, I've been taught not to not to." raise your hand against the Lord's anointed, to quote a Bible verse, and don't call out a man of God, you know, this is wrong. And I said, do you think that that's true? Do you think he was being a man of God when these things happened? And she said no. And she realized that she needed to expose the situation. She needed to tell. She had a spiritual mother in the church that she knew would turn on her. I mean, she said, I'm going to lose all my friends. She went ahead and told. A few weeks later, I talked to her she said i told i did lose all my friends i transferred to another church and i'm of good courage Mm -hmm. she was making new friends and she was happy in the lord she'd done the right thing you can't pay enough for a clear conscience it doesn't matter if you lose all your friends when you're facing the specter of of having a sullied conscience and let me say this that in the long run and i don't mean to lay a guilt trip on victims but in the long run it's better for you to come forward because if you see someone else put in harm's way and they're harmed by the same person in the same way, and you know that maybe if you'd said something, that wouldn't have happened, you will feel bad. You'll feel worse than you would feel speaking up. I remember a big case in our church was this very powerful man. He was an author and he was a traveling speaker and he was just very lauded by many, many young people actually. And he went to a foreign country and there was a girl on the team of this series that he did and he lured the girl into his hotel room and took advantage of her and and in the morning he gave her a hundred dollars and some books and sent her on her way. Well she couldn't you know, she she was just realized that she'd been taken advantage of and effectively raped, power raped mm-hmm. and went to the local administration. They said we need proof. So she ended up calling um she ended up calling him and recording the conversation. So there, she had that second witness. But anyway, the man went through this whole because he got caught. He went through this whole process of being disfellowship from the church and losing his license, his ministerial license, and his ordination and everything. And but within a year, he had, you know, kind of won people back over because he was that good at manipulation. Well, we knew that there were other victims because we had allegations, and but we didn't have anybody that would come forward, and so we were just scratching our heads and. Like a couple days before his rebaptism, where he was going to become a member of the church again. And we knew he had lied to everyone and said that that was his only victim, but it wasn't true. A couple days before the rebaptism, someone else came forward and admitted that, that this particular thing had happened. It was the same thing. And everybody who he'd lied to was like, What? He was crying. You know, mm. that's how these people are. But uh, the thing is that um, right after that happened, I received an anonymous email, Jane Deerfield. And she said, that happened to me by the same person 12 years ago. And I feel so terrible that this girl in this foreign country was violated. If I had said something, it might not have been so. Mm-hmm. You don't want that to come on you. So speak up and, and make sure that justice is served. You were harmed by this person. Don't let him harm someone else. Mm-hmm. And realize that people will come around you and support you, especially if you connect with a group like the Bucket Brigade. Or a group like Project Safe Church, uh, Sarah, who's part of the Bucket Brigade, runs a Facebook, private Facebook group called the Underground Sisterhood, where there's just a lot of support for this kind of thing. You know, get support. There are people out there that'll come around you and that'll help you through. And hold your hand. Come to Abide Counseling if you want a counselor or a coach. We will help you through this problem and and support you as you, as you mm-hmm. you know, and there's fallout. I mean, you you tell the truth about something like that, there's going to be fallout. You know there's going to be people that are going to turn on you. I have enemies out there. You know, I don't yeah. like that. I like getting along with people. I'm like Mr. Rogers. I want everybody to like me, you know. <laughs>
2: yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> um okay, so first of all, all of that was amazing. Um <laughs> secondly, um now you you bring up something else that I that I think a lot of pastors are actually struggling with this kind of issue because we do have more because people like me, I'm I'm 26, but uh, a lot of people in in my generation are getting married Later and later, so what yeah. we're seeing is a lot more single pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and why you look at me when you say that? Um, because uh, <laughs> I can see my reflection in your eyes. Um, so, <laughs> you okay. um, are you
3: single? The, or is he single? I or
2: am too. Single. Yeah, I'm 37. Um, and I'm single.
3: Yeah. Oh.
1: So the, the are you single? Yep, 100. Um uh-huh. the the question that comes up or the question that people are wrestling with is the very idea of yes, because uh, a a a pastor congregate relationship is a, is a an unbalanced.
3: Uh huh. Power, power dynamic,
1: yeah. right? So I think you understand where I'm going here, but I want to yeah. ask it for the sake of the listener, which is, what's the, where does, where does that power dynamic actually become a version of abuse? Or would you say that pastors should, and under no circumstances, ever be in a, you know, consensual relationship? Now, granted.
3: Oh, a oh sexual if you're like abuse dating is d- Yeah, like just
1: dating someone, because like oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing that uh, tends to happen is pastors jump to the extreme of like, okay, well, then I can't ever, and I'm not saying, I don't think pastors intentionally try to date their congrega- congregants a lot, but there are times where it does happen, happen. Um, and I know of several pastors personally, I know that like they ended up marrying yeah. someone in their congregation, yeah. um, and so I'm, I guess my question is, yeah, if, if you're a single pastor out in the world, um, so if you're me... Um, like, what what is the line there of where I should be concerned that what I'm doing could be either seen as abuse or actually is abuse, and I just don't
3: know? You know, I don't think we can categorically say that when a pastor dates a congregant, it's abuse, but it is a little bit of a can of worms because, you know, there could be favoritism, the congregation could get involved in drama. I would say to guard against any kind of uh, abuse of your power differential... Have people around you to hold you accountable and tell you things like, is this an equal match? Can she meet your mind? Mm. Is she strong enough for, you know, I'm just yeah. talking to you, this could be a female pastor, but um, is she strong enough to hold her own, even though you're both her yep. pastor and, you know, a man? Does she Is she able to handle you um, and have people tell you that? because there is a danger that you would be like the father in the relationship and that's really a disaster in a marriage. A marriage is meant to be a horizontal relationship for the most part. I think there's always moments in the marriage where the husband fathers the wife and the wife kind of mothers the husband and that's okay as long as it kind of goes like this. But whenever you get it frozen in in the position of one person being the parent and the other being the child so to speak or the underneath then unhealthy dynamics come in, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's very important that marriage is a partnership, so yeah. ask people to hold yeah. you accountable for that. Well, and I think yeah.
1: it inherently in that is tell people that that's a thing too, right? It like the, every, the one common thread in all the abuse situations is that no one else knows about it. Yeah. So no one can... Say anything that's in right. in a lot of those situations. Well, with dating, everybody with dating, right. everyone should <laughs> it's know about. Way it. out like, in the open, yeah. um, Which is which is hard because the other thing too is yes, with favoritism and otherwise, I yeah. could definitely easily easily see other congregation or other church members calling me out for favoritism. Should yeah. I make a decision that or calling her out on yeah. favoritism? Um, for voting you in, get your way favor. every yeah. Sabbath
3: it's all the songs you um, like or yeah the exactly
1: so is the color I you mean you, out. you accept the weight that comes with that but I think yeah. the transparency is yeah. you know if it's something you're serious about then that's something that that yeah. you work through but I, I thank you for answering that because I don't think that's a question I've heard asked but I like yeah it's a directly, good one. but it's one I think is a definitely a topic of conversation because yeah, everyone's afraid one. to make a move <laughs> Uh, because they don't know if what they're going to well, be yeah, if, as if you're
3: a single guy and you want to get married and you get a church district out in the middle of nowhere like it's not like you get exposure options. to a lot of <laughs>
1: uh yes i know this to be true personally <laughs> um and Aww. every single church member was like hey i've got a granddaughter um yeah. and i said congratulations <laughs> that's about <laughs> as far as that statement would go um it's it but yeah i thank you for answering that and that's okay. um I'm not trying to defend pastors or anything. I think it's, I think this is an absolutely terrible thing. Um, and the fact that it happens in our church and there's just not enough protection against it. And, um, like it's an absolute tragedy to me. And part of the reason that I haven't talked about this on this podcast before is because at best Tony and I are two just straight white males talking about an issue that while it does affect men, yeah. Um, and while men certainly are victimized, it's yeah. disproportionate.
3: Well, the number of males that are sexually abused uh, is, I, I can't remember the stats right now, but I think it's six out of, I don't know. I can't remember. I'm sorry. But it's less. But it's a substantial number. Yes, it is. But that's pretty much childhood and adolescence. Once mm. a man is fully grown, that doesn't really happen anymore. So um, you don't have any ongoing problems, but older women, you know, yeah, women in their 30s and will. And so you're right.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's why I, I very much appreciate your voice here, because not yeah. only are you a woman who's also gone through some of this, but you're a qualified voice in the arena as well. Yeah. Um. Even more so. And with education and qualifications. So mm-hmm. like, I very much appreciate what you've shared so far. Mm-hmm. Um. I think Um. the other question now I have is as a pastor, and I think Steve would be curious to know the answer to this, too. Maybe. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Someone comes to me. Because they're acu- they 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 are reporting something, right? Yeah. So they're reporting on someone, and now I am someone. I don't share this very often, um, because the world that I still live in is small. Like I'm not a huge Adventist celebrity, um, so if I talk about something, it can easily be traced back to people. That's why I have to be careful yeah. about the transparency that I have. Yeah. Um, but I have been falsely accused. Um, mm. I actually have been, and so not of rape or sexual assault but using my position of authority to have inappropriate either conversations or relationships with with um with girls really and that actually happened and i have very good reason to actually believe that it affected my employment in in certain areas oh, and no. so um
3: you know those cases are rare but they do happen yeah. And I'll tell you, it's usually there's some kind of vendetta, some kind of bitterness or resentment. Yes, that's exactly what it was. I know exactly mental... why. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> and it was it was someone who had feelings for me, and I did not reciprocate, uh. partially because I was in a uh, position of authority, and oh. that was not going to happen. Um, and yeah, bitterness oh. led to that false accusation, and so I have a sensitivity to that. So my question oh, is, yeah. I want to listen and believe Mm-mm. a victim. If you someone do. comes to me, I have. Like I want to, and I actually made it a rule for myself that if someone reports on, to me about someone I know, I'm almost by default going to believe them to avoid going down the other route of just yeah. saying, oh, that would but never happen. I but know don't, but don't. You
3: still need to go on well, evidence. Well, yes.
1: Um, so, but I'm saying yeah. to compel me to seek evidence, that's what I'm saying. My default position tends to, but that's my question is how do I balance listening to someone and affirming them? Yeah. Without overvalidating, which is a term you just used, or um, being dismissive, or being dismissive, or yeah. like, yeah, how do I how do I listen as a pastor and actually be able to yeah. interact with this without making the with while still making the victim feel heard, but also understanding there's a process, a due uh, process, there, yeah, there's due process, there's due process,
3: has to be due process because then you have another form of you open the floodgates to another form of abuse, which is false allegations. So I just go by Jesus' evidentiary standard. He said in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now, to clarify, that doesn't mean people. Uh witness can be a person. It can also be a document. It can be a recorded conversation. Like the example mm-hmm. I gave you a little while ago with a girl in a foreign yeah. country. She recorded a phone conversation. So she had her testimony of what happened and this rec- you know, conversation that proved that yeah. it happened. Um, th- of course, today, you know, you can falsify pretty easily, but so you may want three sources, but you know, that's what we go on. And so often we don't get that, you know, so often it's just the person's testimony. So, and and, and sometimes it's because they're too fragile. They don't want to search for evidence. They don't want to look through their, you know, whatever. Um, or they don't want to come forward. Like they say, I want to tell you about it, but I don't want this to come out yet. I'm not ready. So we have to hold it for them. But, um, That's, that's how we work. And so what we'll do is when we talk to the alleged victim or the accuser is another way of saying it, you just, you empathize on the basis of their report, period. You don't wait to empathize for Mm. proof because empathy is free. Like you're not, you're not harming anyone else by empathizing with that person. If they lied to you, shame on them. Yeah. You know, it's not shame on you for believing them at all you know, that's the right thing to do in that situation. But you explain to them at the same time that we can't go forward and, and really do anything about this until we get another source of evidence. Yeah. And so we need to, we need to work together to try to find that. Mm, Yeah. That's huge. Thank you for that. That, That's, yeah.
1: yeah, So you're balancing and saying like, hey, thank you for, you know, I understand how much courage this took to talk about and to share. And I am so sorry for that experience and, you know, praying with them, as a pastor that's typically something that might happen if yeah. it's if it you know if it's something they want but also being clear to say all right here's what happens next yeah. and here's what we need to be able to do that's something right. about this that's right that's that's helpful because for me I'm someone like if I didn't have YouTube my life would be over because I use YouTube like I learned I learned how to cook <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner on YouTube how to yeah, cut I a turkey how to, like I yeah. need to see or visualize <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I need someone to spell it out for me so that I don't feel like I'm walking in what is a very, very gray area yeah. or, or hard situation to walk through. And I don't want to, I want to know exactly what I need to do to walk in that situation. Yeah, I know absolutely. what step, I know I need to know when to step, where to step and how to step. Uh-huh. So that's super helpful. That, that really is. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> that was a question I've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. Luckily it's never come to me. Yeah yet, um, but it is something that that is really helpful. Yeah, the last
3: thing on earth we want to do is is re-traumatize someone who's already been traumatized by not believing them. And so you run the risk. It's better to empathize and run the risk of being lied to because that's not going to cost anything. I mean, it's hurtful, but it's not going to or, but it's much better than, oh, I don't know, honey, you know, I I don't know if I should believe you. Why should I believe you? You know, Mm -hmm. and re-traumatizing them. Yeah. It's a terrible thing to have to do.
1: Um, So, so we're we're kind of winding down here, um, and so I, I I really we've talked actually a lot about action steps so far. we really mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. Um, My question is, I guess random members in in churches or just people in general, like what is someone who's in their car or jogging right now listening to this? like what do we do to become use our voices better in this arena to push and urge the church forward?
3: that's good what
1: yeah, what that's do I do question. if I'm just a normal person?
3: yeah. Well, you can go to the websites, Bucket Brigade Against Abuse and Project Safe Church. We're also going to have an online uh, training. You could take the training, and that would really equip you to to be able to help victims and everything. Mm. Um, so that's what I would suggest. I would suggest you follow us on Facebook, but ch- track us down on Facebook. Um, we're on Twitter, I think, Bucket Brigade Against Abuse and um, Project Safe Church. They're both, I think they're both on Facebook and Twitter. And just connect with us on social media and stay in touch so you get announcements. We have an email list. You can use the contact form on the website. Send us your email or we'll get your email through it because it asks for it. And we'll add you to our email list, which we'll send out like blogs every month. So that'll keep us connected Um, online. I'm assuming the the (laughs) training
1: costs money. To attend,
3: we're going to have an online training. I think it's going to be probably a modest hundred dollars or something. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's
1: my my thing too. Would be like another suggestion. If if I don't have that money for whatever reason, my other suggestion would be to go to your pastor and or, get him to pay and, for and it. Get, yeah. Be like, hey, I want to start. I want star, to champion this ministry. Yep. In our church, can we get like five hundred dollars together and pay for a team of five of us to get this training and to yes. talk about it and to perfect? Um, I think that'd be really cool. I also would love to see. It'd be so cool if conferences would
3: subsidize well that's what's happening with the lake union
1: is yeah see so i'd love to see that even like across the board of, of conferences subsidizing and saying hey if your church wants to start this with yeah. some volunteers we will pay for part of it and yeah like i think that'd just be so cool
3: yeah <laughs> um yeah.
1: and so i know there are some conference and division people that listen to this yeah. so i'm hoping that uh that is a bug in their ear yeah uh but yeah, yeah that's that's so Yes, that's awesome. So, yeah. thank you for doing that yeah. and your work in this arena. Yeah. Um, so, I guess as as we're as we're winding down, Steve, do you have any questions? Anything that that is kind of on your heart here? It's okay if you say no.
2: Yeah, I I, I think everything that you've Harvard covered all, has been huh? super yeah. helpful. I know for me, like I say, as a pastor, I was lucky enough to attend one of the seminars that you, that you gave earlier, and I, this is just reaffirming that. I really think that the holy spirit is being used here i think that you're you're i am thankful that you're you're letting yourself um be used to to help heal people yeah. to help offer them hope it's 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 something that mm-hmm. is needed so thank you
3: you know i i really appreciated the group of pastors and a lot of times what happens when we present this stuff is the guy will draw you aside this happened just a few days ago to me the guy drew me aside and said you know soon as the pastor is accused, he just loses his job, you know. So their sympathies automatically go to the guy that gets falsely accused. But if you knew the proportion of false accusations compared to the number of victims, you'd at least want that person to come a little bit in your direction, you know, and sympathize with the victims, you know. Um, So I really appreciated the pastors because you guys were with me, you weren't uh, like doubting what I was saying, you were affirming it, and you realize that I'm not a foaming at the mouth feminazi here, I'm not trying to emasculate men or anything even close to that. We want men to be men, you know, and stand up and, and use their, you know, their specific, particular male courage and strength to be able to defend the weak, you know, and so we're calling you know, I think in some ways, primarily men to rise to this occasion. It's women doing it, yeah. but we're calling them. Well,
1: and I think this is funny too, because the other thing, the victim complex of that victim card, right? Yeah. Well, you're just attacking men and this is just an assault on men. Well, uh, what are the majority of pastors? <laughs> They're all men. Yeah. Like if you if you want this to be equal across the board, then open up the door yeah. um, for women to be pastors too, because this isn't about men. This is yeah. about the people in authority using their authority to abuse and victimize other people. And yeah. it just so happens that the people in authority are mostly men.
2: Yeah, that's and, and right. And speaking as someone in that position, I, w- I welcome accountability. Yeah. Because it's, it's necessary. Well, that's
3: because you're of a different stripe. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of stripe we like. But, you know, one of the things we say is, you know, alleged perpetrators are innocent until proven guilty. But alleged victims are innocent of lying until proven guilty. So mm. if you're going to automatically say you know you're going to you're going to indirectly accuse the victim of lying you're doing the same thing that you're saying that the victim shouldn't mm. do I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's huge. True. Um
1: yeah. double standards are fun, aren't I they? I know there's so much fun. Um man, Ah, uh, so I love this because so I've also interviewed you one other time for the lead podcast and every time I talk to you every time we have an interaction on Twitter I am just incredibly appreciative of um of who you are, of the work that you do, the voice that you are in this church. You've taught me a ton. Oh, wow. Um, And I know that I'm super opinionated on Twitter because who isn't? Um, And sometimes (laughs) I know I come across as harsher than I sometimes intend to be. Um, But
3: Oh, all all uh, millennials are contrarians on social media. I love it. it.
1: Um, Absolutely love it. And I I just um, really want to affirm you for whatever that's worth um, and say thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Um, my thought is, uh, or I, I guess the way I'd want to close this out is um, to any victims or anyone listening out there, you can categorize it by category if you want, yeah. but any final things, anything that you would want to leave someone with who's listening to this in any situation?
3: You know, uh, the enemy wrote part of your story if you experienced abuse, but you, in partnership with God, get to write the rest of your story. And so you this does not define you. This experience that you've been through where you were violated by another human being doesn't define you and it doesn't define people. And it doesn't define God. It's it just it happened to you. It's a reality, but there's a whole bunch of chapters coming in your life and and God will use that really shattering experience, but he'll use it to mold you in a direction where you'll be useful to his cause in one way or another in ways that you wouldn't have been because God is good at that. He takes things that are improvident that never should have happened to begin with. And he molds them into things that wow. are are bigger and better than anything we could imagine. So um, wow. that's God. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Um, so yeah, that's Jennifer Schwerzer and Stephen Hall who's joined us today. Um, he's kind of been like the, uh, we joked that he would be like the band member uh, on Leno or or, I'm I'm,
2: um, I'm essentially, I'm, I'm playing Tony and Nobly's role today. Yes. Oh no, you're not talking nearly enough for that.
1: Um, (laughs) to be Tony on this podcast, you have to talk more than me and make people question why it's called absurdity with Ryan Becker. Uh, that's, that's the goal. What I love about this too, is we have this set up where, um, we're sitting on the stage in the youth tent and, uh, we have a, like a talk show set up because we're actually going to be doing that kind of thing with, with the youth here but Steve is sitting behind the host desk and both Jennifer and I are sitting in the guest chairs as if that's Ah. um, I love it. I love the dynamic, but um, thank you both for being on the show. Um, Really appreciate you both. And to anyone who has been listening to this, check the show notes. I'm going to have some links down there for you to check out. Um, Even if you don't personally um, care about this or you personally haven't experienced this, like bookmark those links, save them because chances are, you know, someone who has been down this road or is currently going down this road um, of abuse victim and 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 being a victim and um, they could use the resources okay. share it on your Twitter share it on
2: wherever and, and, and to that end Jen do you do you want to give your Twitter, so people. I mean, I'm sure we'll link to, to things as yeah,
3: well. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, but you mean the Twitter handle for Bucket Brigade and yes. Project Safe Church and all that. Yeah, yeah. Except I don't remember what they are. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. Also, I should, should have thought we'll, we'll we'll of that ahead of time. Then. Why yep. didn't you okay. tell me, Ryan? Um, because perhaps <laughs> prepped me better. <laughs> I hard. should
1: have, but I have no signal here. Yeah. I know. Um, the thing
3: is, I'm like thinking about looking at my phone, but I kind of feel like that's not no signal. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. Yep. So I'm, I apologize. Okay, I don't so right you know it. we'll, we'll, we'll link to it. But I think if you search for Bucket Brigade on Twitter, and I think if you search for Project Safe Church, you'll find them. Yeah, okay. um, yeah you will. And if you go to our websites, you're gonna. Their uh, link's yeah. going to be links there. So, okay.
1: Awesome. So, yeah, check Great. the show notes for contact info, for follow-up resources, all of that good stuff. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. You know, We're, let me say one yeah, more thing. Go for is it. They
3: can also just reach out to me. My website is jenniferjill.org. And I'm sort of a clearinghouse for all this stuff, so I can point them. I can send them can links and everything. The- so awesome. Jennifer Jill, J-I-L-L, Jennifer Traditional Spelling, J-I-L-L.org awesome. okay. is my website. Sweet. Awesome. Perfect.
1: That's great. Yeah. So um, with that, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week as we explore this topic even further um, with another member of the Bucket Brigade. And I'm really excited about it. So, um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.